How do you calculate net worth? Well, here, here's how it is. And it's not because I'm an expert on this. I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. You calculate your net worth by adding up all of your assets, you know, the value of things that you own, plus you put your cash in there, you know, your money, your stocks, your collectibles, etc. And then when you've calculated all of that, then you subtract everything that you owe. So it's everything you own minus everything you owe, whether mortgages, loans, car loans, credit cards, private debts, whatever may be the case, that is your net worth. So um, in our world, in our culture, net worth is the best measure of how rich a person is. For example, someone can own five homes and 10 exotic cars and still have a negative net worth because they owe more than they own. So this week, I, um, I actually glanced over a list of the top 400 highest net worth individuals in the world. It is crazy to look over these names and how much net worth value they have. So now pay attention. Because when I looked over these 400 names, I found a very significant thing in common with all of them. And this may be helpful for you. You ready for this? The thing I found in common with all 400 is that none of us is one of them. (laughs) That's very significant. One person wrote, I love this. When I was young, I was poor. But after years and years of hard work, I am no longer young. (laughs) How true that is, huh? Hey, take your Bible for a moment. We're going to talk about real net worth and go to Luke chapter 12. Would you, Luke chapter 12, if you have your copy of the scriptures, if it's on your phone, you just type in Luke 12. We're going to be in verses 13 to 21. You can put that in the the, um, search bar. And then I read from the New International Version. So if you put it in your search bar, type in Luke 12, uh, 13 to 21. And then after that, just put NIV, NIV. And that way we'll be reading out the same uh, translation version of the Bible. So Luke 12, 13 to 21. I, I just want to notice this. Finances affect our peace. You know, if we're low on finances, and we don't know how we're going to make the heat payment that impacts our peace. If we don't know how we're going to put food on the table, if we don't know how we're going to pay for the car, if we don't know how we're going to buy Christmas presents, you know, our peace can crumble under these specific financial situations. And so as you're turning to Luke 12, let me read a passage where Jesus talks on the subject of our peace being impacted by our finances. It's worry can be a contagious feeling when we deal with finances. And so Jesus mentions in Matthew 6, 25 to 27, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to look there. Stay in Luke 12. This is what Jesus says. So he says, so I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? And he says, so look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can I just read that one again? Because the word value or valuable is critical to our discussion today. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And so some of you may have walked in here this morning, and part of your mental mechanism right now is, I am worried about my finances. I'm worried about my valuation. I'm worried about what I can pay for. I'm worried about what I can't pay for. I'm worried about Christmas. I'm worried about afterward. And these are realities to us, and we realize our finances affect our peace. So here we are. Are you there in Luke chapter 12, verses um, 13 to 21? I'm just going to read the first few verses, so follow along. Once again, um, Words of Jesus, we're going to be reading in just a moment after we hear from someone in the crowd. So here's here's what this is. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus replied, Man, who pointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Here's the big statement. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So here's the background. Jesus is talking to this large group. And as he's teaching them and encouraging them, someone in the crowd says, Teacher, Tell my brother to give me my money. Tell my brother to give me the portion of the inheritance I have coming to me. So I think we can safely assume that the brother was in the audience with this man. Or else why even tell, the, tell Jesus to tell the brother something? So he says, Jesus, come on. Tell my brother to cough up the money. This is something that I deserve. This is something that I should be having. Well, in classic, perfect fashion of Jesus, he gets beyond the surface thing. He says, I'm not going to be dealing with your brother right now. I'm going to be dealing with the core issue. This is what Jesus always does. Because there's a surface thing to us. And then there's the subsurface. There's the heart. This is what Jesus always gets at. And notice what Jesus says. He wanted to stress the the issue deeper within. And he says, there's an issue of greed. You want the money most of all. And here's the one lesson that Jesus gives from this passage. Don't confuse your value with the value of your possessions. Does that that connect? Don't confuse your value with the value of your possessions. This is as profound as it gets because Jesus pins down a central issue that's right here in me, in Brian Conover, and right there in you. Because oftentimes when we say, so what's your net worth, right? What is your net worth? And then we say, well, my net worth is $200,000. 
Well, can, can we just clear up? Because this is what Jesus says. No, that's not your net worth. That's the net worth of your possessions. Your net worth is different. Don't confuse your value with the value of your possessions. Here's how Jesus said it. He said it better than I can. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Period. In fact, the words of Jesus help us to understand that being preoccupied with getting more doesn't make you worth more. I don't know what you're going to get for Christmas. One of the best memes I saw about Christmas suggestions, Christmas present suggestions, this man suggested to his wife. She said, what do you want for Christmas? And he says, well, I'm a size, I'm a size 200 acre farm. It doesn't make you more valuable. I love the commercials about the husband pulling up in the brand new Mercedes Benz with the Christmas bow on it for his wife. Have you ever done that? <laughs> exactly. Or the truck commercial where he went and bought a red truck and a blue truck, you know, and then she goofed up and said, oh, I love the blue one. He's like, ah. Oh. Have you ever bought two trucks for Christmas? So Jesus says greed confuses what matters most. It makes us think I'm worth more when I have more. So let's just talk about greed for a moment and then we're just going to just work right through the passage and finish up together. Greed is this. Greed is intense Selfish desire for something. It happens when the focus of our life is us and accruing more and more and more for our personal interest. It can be money. It can be a possession. It can be a person. Whatever it is, greed comes into play when I say, I want that, I want that now, I want it for me. And have you ever noticed we don't have to teach greed? We don't. We don't. I don't know, if, if you have kids, my wife and I have seven, we have never, ever had to teach greed. We've never sat our child down and said, now we need to talk to you for a minute, sweetie. When your sibling grabs something, we want you to grab it hard and pull and say mine. <laughs> never had to do that. Now, let, you know, okay, honey, let's practice. Mine, no. With more intensity, sweetie. More, mine, much better. Keep practicing, keep working, you'll get it eventually. We've never, ever had to teach it. We've had to teach sharing. Letting go. So we see this with Jesus. He seemed to have the inside track on our motives. He says, I think I know what's going on. Tell my brother to give me my money. I think I know what's going on, Jesus says. And with this, he told a story to illustrate the problem of greed and how we know we struggle in our hearts. Here's, here's why we want to tackle greed right now. Because it robs us of peace internally. Because we won't be at rest until we have. 
So Jesus talks about it this way. So going down to um, verse 16. So he says, uh, Jesus says, he told him this parable. Parable's a story with a, with a moral. So here's what he says. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus finished the account in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So let's just walk through this narrative together and we're going to see some important ways to identify misplaced values. So get, get these, put them down. They're going to connect right on down through this parable how we identify misplaced values, how we can see if there is a shoot, a tender shoot of greed in our heart that would cause us to not have peace with God. So here's the first thing I want to put out there. It's in verses 16 to 18. A way to identify misplaced values is we want more and more and more. And you can probably add a few more mores on there. I want more. It's not enough. I want more. Now, interesting, verses 16 through 18, if you see the narrative, he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So this is interesting. How Jesus tells this narrative, he says, um, he didn't say the rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He said the, the ground did. Now, that's very true. It was something outside of his control. He doesn't grow crops. The ground does. He's dependent upon what's in the soil, precipitation, sun, and guess how much of that he controls? Zero. So he is completely dependent on someone from the outside to give him some blessing here. And so he didn't yield the crops. The text says the ground yielded an abundant harvest. How true. But instantly when there was this huge surplus that came, this showed his misplaced values. Because his instant reflex, you see right there, he said, Um, What am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops, all of the extra that is there. And then here's his solution. If you notice there in verse 18, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And that's where I'm going to stir my surplus grain. Tear down, build bigger, have more and more and more. And so one big sign of misplaced values is when we think that blessing from outside of us is only for us. Misplaced values, blessing from outside of us, is only 
for us. That's one. Here's number two. How we identify misplaced values when our gain makes us nearsighted. So think about this. Look at what he says. There's two ways he was nearsighted, verses 19 to 20. And then I'm going to say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So the first nearsighted factor that he had, he became nearsighted in two ways. The very first one, all he saw was himself and his ease and not anyone else. He says, okay, I'm going to take it easy. Woo! I'm not going to do anything. Except I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and I'm going to have a great time. So his primary concern was excess luxury, pleasure, and ease for self. So that's the first nearsightedness. Notice the second nearsightedness. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he says in, in verse 20, this is the response of God. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. So he was nearsighted first to say, you know, everything, every blessing that comes to me is only for me. Nearsighted. It's only me. That's what I see. And then the second thing is he looked at this life and he said, the best things I can get are in this life. He never thought about eternity. He never thought about what if I die? Then what happens to my stuff? How significant will this be? For me so he only thought of the here and now and he gave no thought of the eternal he was nearsighted so the first way to identify misplaced values we want more and more and more the gain makes us nearsighted here's number three we don't want to share with god we don't want to share with god so J jesus says at the end of the parable verse 21 this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not, and here's the big wording, rich toward God. Three words, rich toward God. I want you to think in your mind right now, what does it look like to be rich toward God? I'm going to tell you my only lottery ticket story. I don't have many, I have one. And so here's what it was. Uh, so I went to a gas station, this is when I was in New York. I had to fill up, and the pay at the pump wasn't working, so I had to go inside the convenience store. So I walked into the convenience store, and as I'm, I'm sitting around, there, there's gotta be 30 people all standing near the cash register, and I'm like, what is going on? It must be a sale on candy bars or something like that, like why in the world is, 20 or 30 people or so I'm, I get in line and I'm waiting I probably waited 10 minutes I finally got up I said I need to pay for my gas and the woman says you're probably here for the mega millions too aren't you well it was 235 million dollars people I could feed my family for two months <laughs> and so I said well eh. I said yeah I said, I need to pay for my gas. Well, I, I got like 20 bucks in gas. And then she's like, that'll be $24. I'm like, that's really weird. She put a ticket on my bill. 
And she said, here's your ticket. You're all set. And I thought, now what do I do? So I went home, and I told my family the whole story. And I said, and tonight we watch. <laughs> and then we're talking, what are we going to do with the money? If we got $235 million. What are we going to do? And so, you know, I'm thinking, wow, what a tie to the church that would be. Yes, hello, I'm here with my check for $23.5 million. That's just 10%. That's crazy. So all kinds of things go through our mind. I don't know how much your abundance is. Probably not $235 million. Maybe it's $235. And so here's the reality of what Jesus says. You don't have to have millions to be rich toward God. Whatever is in abundance. I wasn't planning on this. Whatever is in abundance, you know, um, I want to be rich toward God. I want to be generous like we can be generous with God, really. But I want to be generous with him. I'm not here just to store it up. Man, what could I do with that extra $235? What could I get me? But Jesus says, you know what? We, what we get in excess is not all for us. Here's the phrase I put on it. I don't know if it'll stick with you, but this is what I say. Rather than a warehouse, God wants us to be a distribution center. That makes sense. God's never designed us to be a storage facility of possessions and money. He's designed us to be a distribution center as he gives, we look. Where can God use this? Who can God assist with this? And so greed is this logical result of the belief that the best things in life are what we possess. We grab what we can while we can, but in the end we find out our possessions possessed us rather than us possessing them. They had a hold on us that was much bigger than the hold we had on them. That's what greed is like, and I'm just going to be open. I feel it. I think you feel it. We all feel it. We felt it from our earliest days and when our possessions possess us, when we can't shake the passion for more, that's when greed robs our peace. I don't read poems often. But I'm going to read this one for you here this morning. Interesting what it says. It says, not what we have, but what we use. Not what we see, but what we choose. These are the things that mar or bless the sum of human happiness, that peace. The things nearby, not things afar, not what we seem, but who we are. These are the things that make or break, that give the heart its joy or ache. Not what seems fair, but what is true, not what we dream, but good we do. 
These are the things that shine like gems, like stars in fortune's diadems. Not as we take, but as we give. Not as we pray, but as we live. These are the things that make for peace, both now and after time shall cease. So let's talk about it. I deal with greed. We all deal with greed. How how can we battle greed? How can we get to it and help fight this thing off? So I want to give you four things. These are key. So think about them. Write them down. Strategize away, even through the holidays, the Christmas and New Year's. How can we deal with greed? Here's number one. Number one, see our gain as God's provision to give. See our gain as God's provision to give, not just get. (coughs) I don't know what that may be for you. What unexpected may come, it may be a tax refund. Maybe a stimulus. Maybe an unexpected raise at work. It may be extra hours that you were given. Maybe the garden exploded for you this year. Just one, one thought. Zucchini is not being generous, okay? <laughs> it, it, in fact, someone may think you don't like them if you give them zucchini, you know. Um, maybe you got two of something. One of my favorite memories was from three years ago when there was a man... Um, he got a, a sweater, and his sister bought him the identical sweater for Christmas. And he came in to me, and he says, hey, I think we're the same size. This one's for you. I thought that was so cool. Maybe you got two of something. Maybe you um, grew out of clothes, you know, or, or maybe in some of our cases, the clothes shrunk in the dryer again. And, and, you know, whatever it is, when something comes our way, develop an instinctive spirit to think of others first, not merely consuming it for self. See our gain as God's provision to give, being rich toward God. Here's number two. Worry more about not giving than about being taken advantage of, okay? So I'm just going to get right down the nitty-gritty because here's sometimes why I don't give. I'm not going to help them because... I don't think they'll pay me back. I I don't know that they're going to use it all the way that I want them to. So I I think it's better for me not to give. Then maybe it won't go the way I'm thinking it will. So interestingly enough, if you want to take the time at another time, go verse 22 on down. The context of this whole thing is, you know what, don't be so consumed in worrying about finances. Like, God will take care of your needs. And I've fallen prey to the thinking that if, you know, if I might be taken advantage of, so it's best not to give, and if only I was more worried about not giving at all. Like, how crazy for me to hang on to this. In fact, I have yet to find a passage that commands me to never be taken advantage of. But I have plenty that command me to give and to help. 
Worry more about not giving than about being taken advantage of. Here's number three. Put yourself and your family on a collision course with sharing. Collision course. When we go down this path, there is no way that we will not be sharing. So I'm just going to give you some ideas. Um, invite people to your home. Invite them over. Share your food, share your time, share your living room, share your convenience, but invite people over to your home. Um, here's one. Make your car available to someone in need, <clears throat> even if it cramps your schedule. Here's one I heard from someone. I, I think it's a neat idea. Tell your family to turn all your clothes hangers backwards. So you just flip them all. That way they're all, you know, the hanger loop is coming toward you. Of course, if you do that normally, then you do it wrong. But have them face it. And then the clothes you use, when you hang them back up, you turn them so that the loop is facing away from you on the hanger. And then you look at the end of a month or two and you realize, look at all these clothes I don't even use. Someone else could. And you just grab those. And either you find a family in need or you take them to an organization that can redistribute them. But just think about all the excess that we have. Think about that. Think when you wear something... <clears throat> Or when you don't wear something, someone else could, and they would be appreciative. Uh, for a number of years, we hosted orphans in our home, um, Ukrainian orphan kids. We hosted nine different orphan kids, and I'll tell you why we did it. People said, oh, you just, you just love the orphans and you want to care for them. Well, we do love the orphans. We do want to care for them. But you want to know a big reason why we did it? We wanted to teach our kids and our family that we are stinking, spoiled, rotten rats. We have more than what we need. And we put ourselves on a collision course to share. We shared our home. We shared our toys. We shared our clothes. And the toughest one for our kids was when they had to share their room. Like, really? I'm going to give up my privacy? I'm going to share my room? Of course, when the kids would come, do I have to share my room? I tell them. I've been sharing my room for 26 years. <laughs> I need to be careful. My wife's behind me. <laughs> Put yourself on a collision course. Because here's, here's the truth. Peace comes when we release greed's grip on us. Comes when we release greed's grip on us. Not for me. God didn't do this just so I can store more and more and more. I'm not a warehouse. I'm a distribution center. This needs to get out there. How dare I just hang on to it? And it collects dust. This is one reason why We do deck to dressers. You know what that's going to do for someone? In the most vulnerable situation of their life, it's the reason why we do it. I know that money could sit in our account. Why? Why? 
Another reason why we're proposing $40,000 go to the Zeppies for their work over there. You know, if someone can take the money and make more and better disciples now, why should it sit in our account and we get a couple bucks in interest every month? Let's bless them. That's why we go to our neighbor or the orphan and the widow. We had a friend back in New York that she had a jar and she just filled it with change. And then at Christmas time, she put the lid on and she would drive around and go to the store carrying her jar of change and she would look for someone to bless. She called her her blessing jar. That's what she did. She said, why, why should I just handle all that change? I'm going to give it to someone who really needs it. And man, the story she would have. Peace comes when we release griefs, uh, greed's grip on us. Here's the last one. This is the best way to battle greed. There's no better way. Here's what it is. Number four, remember God's example of giving. Remember God's example of giving. And here we are at Christmas. Look at what Jesus had. Hmm? In heaven, he had everything. He had all worship. He was recognized. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone bowed down. Everyone worshiped Jesus Christ. And this is why, friends, this is why Christmas is a global holiday. Because no one gave more than Jesus. No one. Amen? No one. And he gave up everything that he have, has. And I, and I know that we look at ourselves and we think, wow, look at what we can do as people. Big deal. Here's God that gave up all of it. The riches, the splendor, the recognition, the worship. And he took on what the Bible says is flesh. Limiting flesh. He became one of us. And ultimately he gave up his life on the cross. Bearing the punishment of God that you and I deserve. That's Jesus friends. Greed is counter to the message of Jesus, and it's counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we remember and embrace his generous giving, you know that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It sure makes our greedy fascination with possessions look really Remember the example of Jesus with giving. Would you stand with me for a moment? We're going to finish. <clears throat> and I think we all can pray. We all can express to God right now some important words about our greed, about our focus, about the cross. And I think our prayer can start with the gratitude to Jesus for all that he's done for his gift on the cross of forgiveness and righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. 
but then pray that God would open your heart to give, not merely to get. Would you take a moment in silence and express a prayer to God of commitment and gratitude for his giving? Would you pray for a moment in your heart? Father in heaven, because of Jesus, because of his gift, because there's no one greater who gave more for people who had nothing. God, we confess to you, our hearts sometimes are dark. And we love to store rather than to ship. God, help us to measure our worth like Jesus in what we give, not what we keep. God, help us to measure our worth in who we helped, not in how we help ourselves. God, help us to measure our worth in hours at home rather than hours in the office. In time with a widow or an orphan rather than time at the mall. God, help us to experience just like your heart said. Lord, that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. God, teach us the heart of Jesus, the centerpiece of the cross that he gave. Father, use our church to be a place of generosity. Use our people to be examples of your gospel. And advance your kingdom through us as we give. Amen.